What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. It is Thursday, Friday, Friday, June 2nd, 2023. I'm Michael stop it. Stop it, just stop it. I'm Jan Levine, and I'm happy that Eck at least got the year right. <laughs> I'm Kevin Allen. And I'm Eklund. And you're watching Hockey Buzzcast on HockeyBuzz.com. We are one day away from the greatest show on ice, the Stanley Cup Final, which is coming on tomorrow. And I am, re- I, and this is like one of the more interesting series ever. We talked a little bit about it before. We'll talk more about it today. Today's media day. Um, I've got some really interesting little tidbits about the Panthers. But uh, well, Kevin, you got something to start with. Which I, think well, I, I wanted to start with one of my favorite Stanley Cup traditions is there's a Swedish writer. He's covered the... Uh, the NHL pair, uh, German, uh, it's B B J U R M E N. He's from, uh, Afton Blatt and, uh, he lives in the U S I believe he, he lives in New York, but you know, when I was president uh, of the writer's association, I got to know him because, uh, um, you know, he's, he would apply, he applied for membership and, um, you know, it was kind of a new thing that we were allowing foreign press in, but you know, he's based here. Um, so, and there's uh, Gunnar Nordstrom also uh, writes for Express and he lives in LA as well. So there's a couple of, but anyway, what my, the tradition is, is that what Pear has been doing, and I, I verified this today because I actually wrote a story about this list. 15 years ago, he started, and a lot of people do um, predictions. They gather predictions from people about right. thing and they write, you know, 10 or 12. Well, Pear takes it the extra mile. Uh, for 15 years, he's rounded up always more than 200. Now, <laughs> these are people within the um, hockey world, mostly Swedes, because he's right. obviously from Sweden. But, you know, it's the who's who. I mean, you know, he gets Peter Forsberg. Um, you know, he gets Nicholas Lidstrom. He gets Daniel Alfredson. Uh, you know, he gets Alvin, the general manager of the Canucks. Uh, you know, he just gets uh, Hawken Anderson from the scout of the Red Wings. I mean, it's just a, a who. Uzu, and then he, he gets the, the journalists as well. Well, when I was reading these these predictions, because I love reading them, uh, was the fact that what struck me is, is that everybody in the world has played for the Florida Panthers at one time or another. <laughs> because all of their predictions was, you know, always included, yeah, I loved my time when I was with the, the Panthers. I'm rooting for them. Or, you know. I always wondered when I was there whether they were ever going to win. I mean, it's just kind of a fun, you know, kind of thing that, and that's what struck me is how many people have played for the Panthers. You know, it just seems like that's the place you go in the NHL for one or two years, it's you like, know, while you're trying to figure out where you really want to go. Everyone else goes to Florida to retire. You know, it's like, it's like the hockey people do it too. Yeah. <laughs> but, and so anyway, because of that, that most of them were taking the Panthers. So I'm taking the Panthers. And, and and Vegas has only been in existence for six years, so you know that that severely cuts down the pool of ex Golden Knights. That yeah. you know they, they'd be picking yeah. them purely on the fact that they think they're the better team. And you know we've talked we have, we already made our predictions. 
I mean, I, yours, I, Jan, I mean, I hear yours. Jen, what's your prediction for the series for the uh, Stanley Cup final? Uh, I mean, it's interesting. So I've been going back and forth because clearly there's there's arguments to be made for both teams, right? You have the rest versus rust also right. type of thing where we got into the NBA yesterday and clearly the Nuggets kind of disproved that theory for mm. game one, especially the way they came out came out of the gate. Um, so I'm, I'm actually taking Florida. I'm going to go, I'm taking Florida in six and, and largely, honestly, it's it's the Matthew Kachuk impact, right? I think that yeah. Kachuk has just, yeah. just changed I hate to say the culture, but just the manner in which, you know, you have a superstar. They, I mean, and we know that Alexander Barkov is, right? But Barkov is way more behind the scenes. Kachuk has no problem being front and center, and clearly he's got the genes because of his dad, because of Keith in terms of the personality. Um, and he's kind of brought that to Florida, which is something they, they somewhat lacked in the past and part of the reason why they went out and got him. And then you add in Bobrovsky, right? And if you think about it, Bobrovsky, to a certain extent, is playing for legacy, right? If he gets yeah. the Stanley Cup, a lot of the conversation has been is, does the two Vezinas and the Stanley Cup and some of the other honors and the numbers he's going to produce, is that going to be sufficient to get him into the hall down the road despite the bobbles he's had in his career, right? And well, if he gets that Cup win, that clearly may push him over the edge down the road when it comes to hall voting down, down the road. Well, Jen, I, I almost think it washes away because, I mean, if we did a show last summer, and I think we may have, of what was the worst contracts in yep. the NHL, his would have been one of them. And that sort of, you know, the $10 million that you, a year that you're spending on him, all of a sudden that gets washed away if he wins a Conn Smythe Trophy and they win a Stanley Cup. A Stanley Cup. So You would have, you would have had this argument two months ago. And you would have had the same thing because Alex right. Leon was their number one there for a right, while right. until Bobrovsky kind of stepped in between the pipes and has helped carry the team moving forward. And look, his save against Brad Marchant right now in game five is the moment of the playoffs, if you think about it. Yeah. yeah, And it, and it really hits home, Lincoln. I, you know, I talk about this a lot because it's one of my pet peeves. You know, I really do not like blanket statements of like, like this guy can't win because he hasn't done it. Uh, and because they, you know, and I, you know what I always say is, yeah, until they do do it. And, you know, he just is another name added to the list of, you know, this is a guy that can't perform in the postseason. And, um, if he wins know. this, Kevin, is he in the Hall of Fame? I mean, it's it's possible. Like, it, Yeah, it's, I think it's possible. I don't think it's a slam dunk. But, no. I mean, two beds in the trophies. Yeah, that's that's going to be the key, by the way. And yeah. the cup championship to go on top of that, and, okay. and the volume in terms of wins, depending on how you discount the number of wins somebody gets, but that uh, that augments the case associated with the two Vezinas in the cup championship. Yeah. And and you know, I mean, it, one of the greatest upsets uh, in recent history, where he leads Columbus to a four game yep. sweep over the Presidents Trophy winning Tampa, and that can't that I mean, they didn't go to the Stanley Cup final, but that can't be minimized. So. Right. Yeah, I know he's done less, done more on less impressive teams. I mean, like that's the thing that that's that's the crazy thing about it. Like you know, he's Columbus and Florida the entire time. I mean, Philadelphia for a brief period of time in the beginning, but you know that really wasn't doesn't you know wasn't really anything. But he did he got his two business with Columbus and Florida, and you know his two two business were both Columbus, both with Columbus, but perhaps the Stanley Cup with Florida. I mean, those two Columbus teams weren't gang beaters, you know. Like it's no, like, but they, but they were sound defensive clubs under John Tortorella, so they sort of fed yeah. into you know the goaltender being the centerpiece. Yeah, they were good teams, but he was yeah. he was 
better players on that team. So, yeah, I mean, I think you can make a case. And, and you know, again, we'll talk about this in the summer. Uh, there's a long list of goaltenders that I think aren't in that should be in, like Curtis Joseph, like Tom Barrasso. Um, maybe, maybe you can make a case for Mike Vernon or Chris Osgood because they won two Stanley Cups. But, you know, I think Bobrovsky immediately goes into that group. Yeah. Well, what's interesting to me is about that is I think the two Vezinas mean more to his candidacy uh, than the Stanley Cup. There are a lot of goalies that have won a Stanley Cup that aren't going to get any consideration. But when you have those two Vezinas um, to go with, and I don't know, I have to look it up. Has he done uh, anything internationally? Um, No, Russia didn't win anything when he was. Well, even if they didn't win, did they medal or did he get a. I'll, I'll look. I'll well, I remember the funny thing, the, not the funny thing about him, but they always went to Varlamov over him in Russia. Um, yeah, for sure, and, for sure. And 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 yet, when Bob Bob came in in those in those um some of those series, he did play pretty well for Russia. And there was a lot of debate whether they should have started him. I, mean, I forget whether it was the ten two thousand ten Olympics or it wouldn't have been that Olympics. He, right? was, he won a won a bronze medal at the World Junior in two thousand eight. He was he split time with with Varlamov in Sochi. Uh, won the yeah. world championships, so nothing of major, major consequence. I think it was Sochi where they went to him late, and they they stayed with Varlamov like way too long. I think if I remember right, Russia did, and that, and that was yeah, they big didn't medal in Sochi, right? Right, yeah. and that was a big debate. They got the Americans beat him. Yeah, yeah, like what? Uh, right. He, well, the, the, that was a that was a TJ Oshie game, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that that yeah. was a TJ Oshie game. You're right. Yeah, but I think also well, augments his case, though, is Mikey talked about obviously Columbus beating the President's Trophy winners. Well, you have the same thing potentially this year, where Florida, as the eight seed, got past right. three of the top five teams in the league, including the number one overall team during the regular season, which Point. bolsters his case, even though he wasn't necessarily between the pipes when the round started. Yeah, but those are the kind of issues that you know, you know, still sitting on the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame committee and having previously been on the Hockey Hall of Fame committee, I can right. tell you just that fact that Jan just mentioned, those play out big. Because when you're arguing jewelry, you know, mm-hmm. everybody's got jewelry. You know, they've got all these, you know, Vezinas and all because if you don't, you, you just you don't even get nominated. So right. you got to have all that. Well then it becomes, you know, what else do you got? And you know, when you're able to rattle that off, you know, that Florida took down those teams, you know, that that causes everyone to go, hmm, you know. Hey, well, right. I know Kev, it's been well, well established, and I, I, I'm, I've always sort of carried this torch because he started his career in Buffalo. But okay, not only did Barrasso win two Stanley Cups, he won a Calder and a Vesna in his rookie year as an 18-year-old. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know the personality issues, but at some point, like Jim Rice got in the Hall of Fame, and he was a jerk to Boston reporters. You know, you'd think that after 20 some odd years, they would overlook that because Barrasso did have not a not the best goaltending career, but a very good goaltending career. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is, you know, the the relationship that um, Barrasso had reporters uh, has no bearing on his Hall of Fame because they don't vote on it. But it's his general overall grumpiness. (laughs) <laughs> I think, you know, has, you know, became kind of a factor that people do talk about. Like, you know, yeah. I think around the hockey world, outside the media, like, you know, because the media doesn't vote, obviously, and it's a, it's an 18-person committee. 
Correct. And, you know, it's it, former executives. And I think there are two members of the media. Um, but mostly it's, you know, coaches and general managers and people who've been around the game for a long time. But, but I think it is well established that, you know, he did have kind of a cantankerous personality. Awesome. And, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's nobody probably that's been in that, you know, uh, committee room who has said, you know, that Tom Brassel is a really nice guy because, again, <laughs> having been in those <laughs> meetings, that stuff comes up. Right. Yeah, you know, yes. as you're splitting hairs – you know, when everybody looks great, everybody that comes before you looks like the greatest player in the history of the world. You know, you start talking about, you know, was he a good team guy? Did, did was he that love? bad, Kevin? Like, really? So Was he that bad? Or was, or was it like the sentence, like every – we always joke about every player has a sentence put on them. Ross is a bad guy. Ty Cobb was a murderer, but he was a hell of a base deal. Right, but I mean, yeah, was, no, well, I mean, was, I, I never, I never I, he, was he was he that bad? He was he was tough on reporters, but I I could not say what you know whether guys in the locker room. I know some guys in the locker room didn't like him. I mean, I can right. I, you know I remember talking to people about you know they would shake their head about Barrasso, mm-hmm. but but you know personally, I don't think it should matter. Right. That's, how, that's how I feel about it. But it does color your thinking. You know, yeah. I mean. I, it just it just gets in the way. So, um, question in the chat room, which I think we should ask a second. So, so someone, so Christopher Patton said, "Is this the same Kevin Allen who uh, was a writer's credit on Without Fear? I picked up, I picked it up at Goodwill, and have been enjoying it a lot." It, it is the same Kevin Allen. He did with Bob Duff about goaltending, right? Yeah, Bob and Duff and I wrote it. And we ranked the goalies. We, at the time, we said it was the first time the goalies had ever been ranked. So there you go. In, the, yeah. in that way, so um, yeah. Uh, you know, Brasso d- did do all that. You know, the the other thing is against him is his numbers are never great. Um, right. You know, but it's the wrong year to have great numbers. That's, That's the, the, you know. And well, Grand 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 numbers weren't great. And yeah. 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 The, other, the other thing, going back to Brasso, because, you know, we should talk about this point, too. Like, I think, like, if he got the Conn Smythe trophy, right. like, now all of a sudden, you know, mm-hmm. you're two Vezinas, if yeah. they win it, and then. And then, I mean, then he got to Con Smythe. Like, you know, we all say in Detroit that had Osgood won the Con Smythe right. and ended up and won that, he would be in the Hall of Fame because, the, you know, the the jewelry would be overwhelming. Well, um, I mean, he's as good a Con Smythe candidate as anybody, right? Like, I mean, and, and, and the reality is, like, he and Chuck, if they were Florida to win this, it's a it's a it's a toss-up it's, in my life. It could be a split. Has there ever been a split for a vote? Don't you don't you think though? I mean, no, I don't think so, Mike. I don't think they've ever had shared. No, they, they haven't. But winners. I mean, I, I it's hard for me to say this, but you know, right now, you know, if I had to vote, I'd vote for Chuck. I mean, he he's got four. He's been in on forty two percent of their goals. Yeah, like that's Mary Lemieux esque. That's Wayne Gretzky esque, and. He's just been a physical force and clearly, clearly the flag carrier for the charge. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, you know, like I'd have a, I mean, not that, I mean, they've both been just unbelievable. So. And here's, but here's the thing I think, Kevin, if they win the Stanley Cup, it'll probably be because of Bobrovsky. Like, you know, because this, this series, I think will come down to that. Like, I think this series, um, it might be Kachuk again, but I think that to stop Vegas, and win this cup, it'll have to be a couple games that Bobrovsky just stands on his head, I think. Yeah. Do, you think do you think there's any chance that if Florida loses, Bobrovsky wins the Conn Smythe? 
No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. But but and and I'm I'm kicking myself because we, we talked about this on a previous show about it was four four players and Reggie Leach was the only skater. It was all it was yeah. all goal. To, I forgot about Glenn Hall in '68. He he won the Conn Smythe when St. Louis lost to Montreal. So it's five five players who were on losing teams that won the Conn Smythe. Hexall did it right against the Hexall against Edmonton. Shagir, yeah. right? Jaguar against the Devils, Roger Crozier against uh, the Montreal Canadiens, I think 65. So, yeah, I mean, it's very it, – but it's it's all goalies except Reggie Leach. It's kind of interesting. I mean, like, who does Vegas have that's really been the – is it Eichel? Eichel. It's Eichel. Eichel. Eichel I mean, Mar- Marchessault's also, I think, a pretty good yeah, series overall. Yeah, he's got a little revenge factor now also, Marchessault. And on defense, I think Petrangelo has been the guy that they expected, but he hasn't put up a bunch of points. So the guy who leads the team in scoring usually has the advantage over that rock solid uh, defender. Um, I, I, let me let me segue here, Act, because we were talking about Kachuk, and uh, when Brad for Living held his media availability yesterday um, in Toronto, um, he mentioned Kachuk. Right. He mentioned basically. Um, and you would think, okay, the guy forced his way out of Calgary and there was probably some acrimony there. In fact, it was the exact opposite. Kuchuk, um texted him and congratulated him on getting the GM job in Toronto, thought he would do a great job. Yeah. And Treliving referred to Kachuk essentially as his son. He says that, you know, they, they had a phenomenal yeah. relationship. He went to him. Uh, last year says, I've just got to let you know, I'm not going to sign here in Calgary. So, if you you know, here's the places I want to go, you know, work on that. Uh, right. and, and it ended up, it ended up being, a, a, a you know, a positive deal for Calgary because they got something for a guy who was going to walk away in a year. And it's kind of like I just said, you know, Brad for living referred to Matthew Kachuk as almost like his son, because there was that kind of good relationship there and rapport, you know, he drafted him. In that uh, famous, I think, 2016 draft, and um, you know he, he had a fantastic relation with him, and Kachuk um, congratulated him on the job with the Leafs. And for Toronto, obviously, that was my focus. That's a good sign in terms of Treliving's relations with the players that he's got to sign over the next couple years, uh, and the relationships that he has with those players. So I, I was impressed by Treliving in that in, in that media availability, but. It's a media availability. Ryan Leaf had a good press conference before he started as a quarterback with the San Diego Chargers, and then he stunk on the field. But so. let's, let's, I mean, no one doesn't like Brad Trilliving. Like, he's a great guy. Like, he's, he's yeah. a top yeah. guy. Like, he's well-liked, he, well-respected. Well-respected, well-liked. Um, you know, just, he's just a good guy. Like, there's no two ways about it. Like, I've never heard a bad word said about him. Yep. Um, and he's just right, you know, among the top, like, Top guys out there. Um, no, no, I, the I have heard bad words about, but I, I mean, I like Kyle Davis, but I. Oh, <laughs> I just, let me let me just add, add this act because we're sitting at the um, Scotiabank Arena about a half hour before the True Living presser, and that's when it breaks. Uh, that Kyle Dubas is being named president of hockey operations with the pe- with the Penguins, and immediately through the through the room, it's like this is a WWE troll job, like stepping on a press conference a half hour before. Now Brendan Shanahan deflected it and said he had been in contact with the Penguins and they, you know, yeah. needed to get it out there before today, which was media day at the Stanley Cup. But and that it was planned. 
uh, Elliot Friedman said it was planned to be released in the afternoon after the Leafs did it, but it was going to get out. Some of the Pittsburgh reporters had gotten it and they needed, they needed to move it up. And yeah. that's the reason why. Now, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I know I Carl Dubas just in passing. I don't think he would do that. I think no. it was just coincidence. But, well, but that was, Penguins wouldn't are the kind, aren't the kind of organization that would do that either. Like, Penguins don't care about me. Plus, plus, who cares? Exactly. Right, 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 right. I mean, seriously. Like, what? You know, why is this even a story? Who cares? Like, it was like the Ottawa Senators naming him or something like that. But the Penguins <laughs> just don't care about the Maple Leafs. I, I just, I thought it was ridiculous when I read, yeah, they planned it so that the Toronto writers couldn't get there. Like, how many Toronto writers would go to, to that? I mean, I, you know. Well, the interesting discussion with somebody about this, about Dubas for a second, I think is interesting yeah. to note. Um, and this is, so I'm a little shocked, a little surprised to know that he's president of Hockey Ops and not GM, right? Like, we all talked about that. Like, we talked about, okay. You know, so basically, but he is going to be the GM until after free agency. So I guess he's the GM. I, I can I can tell you why. I, I can um, too because he said. <laughs> yeah, no, he said why, and you know, yeah. but um, but what is interesting to me is the position of hockey ops is is kind of like the new GM in the NHL. Like, and I talked to somebody else about this. It's like, yeah, it's like the new black. You know, like it's like it is the new GM, the new GM. Like, so president of hockey ops is where it's at now because it's like. The it's GM the new, the pressure of the GM. It's the new structure. It's but it's not original because Montreal did it with Jeff Gordon as the president of hockey ops yeah. and Kent Hughes, who was an agent as the GM. And same thing with Vancouver with Jim Rutherford as president and Patrick Alvin as the GM. Right. I mean, the Bradshaw he, living. Uh yeah, yeah. He was a first time. Yeah, that too. And, and you know, I think that's true. But 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 the, the reason here is this, and like like Kevin said, Dubis was upfront about it. Um, he's going to do the job as an interim until the end of June. And what he didn't say. July. Yeah, said no, yeah, no, it's the end of June. End of June. Said said after July, after July. Contracts run out at the end of June. And then the person he probably is targeting, which some people think is Jason Spezza. Some people think it's Brandon Pridham. There's other people in the Leafs organization that their contracts may expire after that. I've heard Ryan Hardy and Wes Clark, all these people who Dubas brought into the Leaf organization, their contracts run out on June 30th, and then they would be able to sign them. Now, um, Pridham is the name that's been mentioned most, and the report is he's got two years left in his contract, but where the title is important is the fact that he's an AGM in Toronto, and if Pittsburgh offers him GM, in some of these contracts, there's an out there where if somebody – I asked somebody about this specifically, Mike, and you're right. Like this, the, the re, I always thought that no one would stop you from moving up, right? But the reality is it has a lot to do with the contract you sign with a team because – in in a in, in a contract, um, I talked to one GM who said, "Yeah, I'm allowed to talk to anybody, or they have to give permission to talk to somebody right. because it's in my contract that they have to get permission." Where he says, "Other in other cases, it's not in the contract that they have to get permission." So that is not necessarily a given, even though it is kind of like the norm and accepted thing that no one will stop someone from moving up in a position. It's not. We saw like Dubis; they stopped Dubis from talking to somebody to move up. Remember. Back way, Colorado, way back. Colorado. Yeah, so I mean, it is it, it can be done. Um, but the reality is, like, it ha- but because Dubis in his contract didn't have that, a, if, if if a higher position is offered to me, you have to let me go for it. Like that, that is that is something that GMs and assist GMs and all that negotiate in their contracts, which I didn't realize until yesterday. But that is actually the case. Um, but if if I had to bet money, I would say that I'd say the odd the odds are about ninety ten that whoever the GM is. Uh, is coming from the Leafs organization. Uh, you know, he brought in all those people. 
I think one of them will be his choice. Let's talk for a second about Jason Spence as a GM. Like I, I am a huge Jason. He's a, he's, I would consider him one of the, the my bigger friends in hockey. You know, I actually like Jason Spence. I know him. I talk to him. I just is like, this is, it's just a strange, it's just, I mean, he's definitely assistant GM type. I don't think he's that's why this whole thing feels very much more like, I don't think he's a leading candidate. I think his name is being mentioned because he resigned with Dubas, but he served one year as a special assistant to the GM. He yeah. really doesn't have the experience to step into a general. I mean, is this Garth Snow all over again? Because that's what. Because well, to me, it's just it's just like it's it's Dubas is the GM, but not calling in the GM. That's what right. it is. Right. Like it's and, and he's an assistant GM. Like and right, Kevin. Am I wrong about that? Yeah. No, that's right. I mean, that seems like what we're talking about here, which means that, you know, people who are GMs now, they need to become, you know, need to become. Hot yeah, hot. I mean, although, you know, is this really much different than if, if this happened? I don't think it will. I'm with Mike on this. Um, but if it happened, isn't is this much different than Danny Breer? I mean, no, Danny Breer. So, I mean, it's I say the same thing. No, I, and I agree. Although Danny did GM for a while. Yeah. He has a little more experience than Spezza. But not not a lot, not like not you know, enough, not enough to be not enough. Agreed, and, and I, yeah. I I'm a hundred percent behind that too. Like I agree with that. Yeah. Um, and the one the one difference though is, I mean, okay, if say say for example, Spets is named the general manager. You have a GM that's got, got five years of experience in the, in the league and Dubis as part of the mix. So he has support. It's not like Breer where Breer really is. I mean, Keith Jones is a neophyte when it comes to management uh, in, in the league. And he really doesn't have experienced guys as part of his staff. Now, Eck, you can tell me whether, you know, the Flyers mafia, meaning Holmgren and, and, uh, and, Bobby Clark and Bill Barber, right. if they're still involved, involved because if they're still involved, then there is experience there. But that's the kind From of. What I understand, there's a big move to not have them be involved. Okay, yeah. and that that's where they're going. They have been involved, <laughs> but and they they will still probably still be involved, but they're not. I, I don't yeah, think they're I, power. My my sense is that I mean, and Eckwood is closer to it than I am. But my sense, from you know, just kind of a national perspective, is is that they've kind of moved away. You know, and you see that in all different places, like in Detroit. You know, Jim Devolano has been a powerful figure in Detroit for a lot of years. But you know, at some point, when you've been removed, like Jim hasn't been a GM in a long time, and he's still involved here in Detroit, but it's not the same as when Ken Holland was there as it is now with Steve Eiser, yeah, right, and right, and Steve right. respects. Jim, for sure. But I mean, it's just over time at Wayne's. You know? No, it wins. I mean, you still have guys like Dean Lombardi are here, you know, like he's in Philly. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and that's a, that's a guy who actually had more GM experience than, than anybody um, in this organization. Um, yeah. But, you know. I, I mean, really, Dan, the Breer situation is, is, is closer to um, the uh, Adams situation in Buffalo more than it yeah. is Dubas. Because, yeah. I mean, Mike's right on. I mean, Dubas is right above him and he's. You know, he's been a full-fledged GM where, I mean, there, there's no question that, you know, the thing I would say about both, you know, Jones and Briere, you know, to defend them and it's, it, you know, the experience wise, you can't defend them. And they know, they actually know that, you know, I've talked to both of them about that, but they're, they are both incredibly hard workers who have a lot of, who, have, who do have a lot of connections throughout hockey and have people, the right people. They're the kind of people who will like Holmgren was, which I just always said I respected Holmgren because he, if you asked him a question, he didn't know he would, he would say, I don't know the answer. I'll find out for you. I think Briere and Jones are like that. You know, they have that. But but it, I mean, it does like, and Kevin referenced Buffalo Adams for the first, I think three quarters of his first season 
as general manager was flying solo. And then they, you know, the organization realized that they needed somebody, an experienced hand, and they brought in Jason Carmanos, who he knew through Jason's dad, who was the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, because at that point he was working with Carolina. And then he, so he knew him, he was familiar with him there. And now he's the assistant GM in Buffalo. And he actually tried uh, to unsuccessfully to get the GM job in Pittsburgh. So, um, you know, I mean, but so there is a, there is a veteran support structure there in Buffalo that wasn't there initially. So maybe a couple months down the line, Briere, they, they bring in somebody like a Lawrence Gilman from Toronto. Like, I, well, like, I, like I said, like Lombardi and Holmgren are both still here. Like that, that's and there, there's two GMs. Like, you know, there are two. Right, but you don't, I, I don't know if you want that influence. Act. That's the no, whole I think you, I think you do. I think what you need is is is. Not that influence, but you're okay having that mentorship around, and you're okay having that, like, um, you know, to go when you have a question to go to them and ask them what they think, you know, like that kind of thing. That's the kind of stuff that I think you will see, and I think you will we'll see probably, a, you know, some pretty strong assistant GMs brought in too. Like, I think that that'll also play into it, but I don't know quite who that's going to be yet. Um, I wanted to ask Jan because I'm a little puzzled about because we were talking uh, earlier in the week about the Rangers coaching situation, and it started to sound like. You know, Laviolette was the inevitable choice. And then I know Russ was saying that maybe things were being stalled because the Rangers might might have been waiting to hear about Sheldon Keefe's availability. And Treliving really didn't clarify that much, saying that he was going to talk to him and he liked Sheldon. And, you know, th- there's no guarantee he's going to stay or he's going to go at this point. How long can the Rangers hold out before they have to make a decision? I mean, I think some of it might be determined as to which direction Columbus is going in because they're rumored to be swimming in the same pool okay. as to whether or not Laviolette is the guy right there. It's been, well, Spencer Carberry was one name that was mentioned. Obviously, he went to Washington. There was the Larry Brooks domino article, right, that if for some reason with if Dubis went to Pittsburgh and decided to bring Keith and Sullivan for some reason wanted out of there or they ended up wanting to get rid of him, that he could end up going to New York and – I wrote something on that yesterday because it made sense to a certain extent because he obviously he knows the New York landscape having coached there, had the connection with Drury because of the USA team USA connection. They want him badly in New York. And clearly clearly, yeah, and he would have been probably their top choice, but that Absolutely. kind of was kind of put to bed yesterday given the comments that Dubis has made, you know, his yeah. conversations and drivers as to quote unquote, you know, taking part of the driver was to have Sullivan there as to why he took the job. Honestly. I don't know what direction they're going in now. I mean, I've written a couple times because, look, depends on if they want to go the retread route or not, right? I, I, I am, I am on record where I don't particularly want Peter Laviolette. I don't. He's not the guy necessarily that I want. I think some of the young guys have to step up. I know he's kind of molded some of the guys in the past. I don't think he's done a great job in some of the teams he's been on lately. Um, I've been on record saying I'd like to see a guy like Jay Leach get a chance because what he's done in Seattle, and I think getting a younger hand there who's got some experience would be beneficial. I've also been on record saying I would have no problem if Chris Knobloch, who's been the coach in the AHL and has some experience being being an assistant in the NHL for Florida, gets a shot. I know Russ and I disagree vehemently on this, but honestly, I wouldn't have a problem if Patrick Waugh got the job. Right? Oh, I know. Wow. Now, again, granted, we all know what happened in Colorado, and that was a power play that he wanted that he lost, right? And we also know that, as Russ has said, in the QMJHL, he runs the show a lot, right? But he's got cups that he's won in the past as a player. He's got the connection to Drury, having played in Colorado before. He's got the personality to handle 
a major market if necessary. You would have to hope that he learned some lessons after leaving the NHL to go to the queue in terms of developing young players. There's some questions in terms of strategically what kind of defensive structure that he uses. Personality-wise, look, it could implode dramatically. But I got to be honest with you, if you think Peter Laviolette excites the fan base, do me a favor, go to Twitter for about five minutes. And granted, that shouldn't be the driver. But if they, as Brooks and others said, if they really wanted Laviolette and he clearly was the guy and they weren't waiting for other guys to be available, don't you think they would have hired him already? The fact that they've waited this long means they would want, they preferred other candidates to him that maybe have not become available. And to go just because he is the fallback option as the best of the retreads, to me, is not a reason to hire a guy. And the, the issue with Laviolette that I find curious is that it's to me he's similar to Gallant. Usually you go next, you know, you know, he is an attacking offensive guy. Um, uh, you know, obviously, you know, he has evolved every place he goes. I'm sure he picks up some stuff. But the other thing that I'm really bothered by, you know, Chris Drury knows everything about Peter Laviolette, and he certainly has some some qualities to him. But, you know, if you ask general managers who have dealt with him, he has been a very high-maintenance guy for them in this regard. He doesn't like general managers being around his team, and I don't know a single general manager that doesn't like to be engaged. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I sense that uh, – he was not David Poyle's uh, most favorite coach ever. Um, and, uh, you know, that's saying a lot because David Poyle is one of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet. And yet I don't think he loved his his Peter Laviolette experience. Uh, now, you know, from Peter's perspective, you know, he's gone. I know Eck made this point, and it's a valid one. He's been relatively successful everywhere he's been. Like, he's made the teams better. He's a good finisher. He can take a... Uh, above average team and, and make it and make it better. So, you know, there's a lot to be said. But I I I didn't like this fit right from the beginning in New York. I to me it just seemed like the direction you should be heading. And I if I was the Rangers, I'd be looking at a defensive guy, which is the vast majority of the league these days. Yeah. Um, and get a guy to work on because they've got the offense, um, but they really need to apply themselves defensively. So. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think defense was the problem against the Devils at times, though. There was the inability to for Gallant to make any adjustments during yep. the series. Granted, Artemi Panarin had a horrible series. Zabinajad got caught up in in kind of the structure against playing against Heischer. I know John. I know John Hines has been mentioned, who's another guy that I got to be honest with you. You think Laviolette doesn't excite the fan base? Go take a look at a couple of comments on John Hines. And we're talking about a Devils and an Islanders ex coach too. But yeah, you know, you're both in Laviolette and Islanders. Yeah. I I think Hines is a really good coach. Um, I just think he suffers from, you know, people just don't know about him. But you know, those who do know him well, you know, like him. To be honest, I, that's why I was surprised that Trotz did what he did to. Yeah. To Hines, you know, I, I I thought I saw Frank Cervelli called his departure clunky, and I thought that's the perfect word for it. It was yeah. it, it was clunky, um, and you know he said at the conference that he kept Hines in the loop. Well, so what? Like that's not you know you you kind of let him hang there, and you know they said before if he found somebody like better, well it was pretty clear he was conducting a search, sure. you know so. So anyway, it just did. It just seemed disingenuous. And- I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I thought. I honestly thought that it made sense the way he did it. Um, and listening to him describe it, I was kind of like, I, I don't know. I was I, and to me, I was kind of appeased with with what Trot said. About yeah, it. I, I was not. I, I'm a big, as everyone knows, as uh, 
uh, Tom Ladle used to call him my long lost uncle. I, I really like Barry Trotz. Um, yeah. I've known him well for a long time. And I was, I've been, I was disappointed in how he yeah. handled that. And, it's not going over well in the coaching fraternity. No, sure. I know. I've talked. To, it's not going well among general. Oh, it's not. But he also didn't. Ha- did he? You know, did he have a real choice in this matter? Like that's a question. No, like, yeah. I guess, well, I guess Kevin, the better question is: is how, how how could he have better handled it? I guess is the question. He, he should have fired him. Should have fired him at the yeah, day. Should have fired him right from the beginning. But what, because but what would happen if he conducted his search and didn't find anybody? But else he did. But like it's better. pretty clear that that's not what he was. Or, doing. or was the goal just to find somebody because he just didn't like him at all? So I, no, I he, was, he was in competition with all the coaches he was talking to. Like Grinnett had other places. I mean, um, that's it, my it, problem. I don't. I don't believe that. I, if it was the problem, you don't that, think Grinnett had other places. If I, it was, if it was the problem that Nashville stayed competitive even though they traded off players till the very end of the season, then that's a case to not fire him. But if if it was up to high, it was up, it was up to Barry Trotz, and he said, "I'm going to fire the guy," then put him out of his misery and fire him on April fifteenth. Uh, that I, that would have been the fair thing to well, do. I think, and I kind of I heard a little bit of this, but I'm not not guaranteeing that this is correct. But I, it sounded like his first choice was the guy who went to Washington, Carver. Um, Carver. Yeah, that was that's yeah. really that Trotz really wanted. That didn't work out. Um, the he, the feeling was Burnett was probably going to get hired someplace else, um, maybe even New York, and. And then you know, then Nashville talked to Burnett and got him, and and, and Nashville went went all in. Like the Burnett interview, whatever I heard, it was like Actually. they liked him so much that there's like this. They didn't want him. They didn't. They didn't want to risk losing him as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it, the worst place to be if you're going to the prom is to be the disaster, the third disaster backup, and that's what it sounded like. John Hines was. It's like, okay, if we can't hire Har- Carberry and we can't hire Burnett, then we'll keep you. Well, no, that sucks. I mean, it, that that's was, he, he basically just said, I'm going to look around and if there's someone I like better, but otherwise you'll be fine. I don't think that's really what he did. I I think he had had in his head, I'm likely going to uh, fire him here. I'm going to look around. So I don't I don't know why he hung him out because I, I think he intended to, to fire him. Now, Jan, I'll just say this. If, if Patrick Waugh, who's in the finals for the Memorial Cup, uh, if they if Quebec beats, I think it's Seattle they're playing. If they win, that'll be two Memorial Cups for him. And he did have a lot of success in one year, even though there was first a lot. year. Yeah, he in that first year. I mean, my concern about about Wa is not the coach; it's the personality and New York. It's right. like you know, remember Michelle Bergeron, who had that you know La Petite Tigre uh, uh, personality. He did not fit in New York at all. And that's, I think, yeah. You also had Esposito there as a GM, as opposed to Drury, who at least has the relationship with Wah coming into the role. Now, Grant, look, I'm not saying it's a perfect fit by any stretch of the imagination. You have to deal with Dolan and Sather, who are clearly heavily involved and probably more involved than they should be. Look, the question being is, if you weren't going to hire somebody better, why did you let go Gallant? Although a lot of it may have been due to the post uh, season news uh, uh, meetings that they had with the players may have been a driver, right? A couple of years ago, if you remember correctly, Elaine Vigneault was let go similarly uh, because of similar issues associated with it. As Kevin said, if you're hiring guys like Laviolette and Hines, is that necessarily a step up from what you already had with Gallant or you had no choice but to make a change? And if you're going to make a change then make a change that makes sense as opposed to just going down the same road again, but a slightly nuanced difference. Well, here's what I think happens in this situation. You know, like if you're doing like a chemical, if you're trying to do like a scientific chemical reaction on something, right? You can only change one thing at a time. 
or else you don't know what 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 really is causing anything right like so i think the reality here is you know they the players they've done all these changes with right so the though i think that they want some cons- the, by bringing in a coach that they at least understand like if they bring in a fire a coach that they don't understand how is that going to how will they know what's going wrong kind of in a way you know i don't know if that makes any sense to anybody else but it's like there's a certain like if they bring in a coach like laviolette then you, you you get to put the players on notice and you get to see what the players are really all about which also we do have to bring up for a second the patrick the patrick kane thing so you well, know i was gonna i was gonna mention that yes yeah, patrick kane is out four to six months right so that is obviously going to affect well okay kev i, I have a little side bet with with russ because I think there will be a team out there that will sign Patrick Kane before the season and not wait the four to six months uh, until he's healthy. And then him basically like doing a Matt Sundin and halfway through the year trying to sign with somebody. I think he'll sign with a team and then he'll recover and then he'll come back with that team. He may not be able to get big money and he may not be able to get more than one year, but if he wants to play that this year, then I think that's what he's going to have to do. What What, what is your feel on what came? I, I think if if he's really does want a three year contract, which is the rumor, then he's going to have to wait till mid season and right. everybody to see where he's at after the re- rehabilitation. Um, but you know, if you're a team and you think you don't have an unbelievable shot to get him, um, and he's willing to sign with you now, you might you might consider that. Um, yeah. Yeah. but I mean, well, so Nicholas Baxham last year had a similar surgery, right? He was had yeah. the surgery June 18th. He was back playing with Washington January 7th, right? So that's about a six month window. Right. What that does mean, even if it's prorated, right? You're not getting the Nikita Kucherov benefit where you can stash him on LTIR all year and then bring him back off LTIR just in time for the playoffs where the cap doesn't matter. So you're going to need to have enough cap space, even yeah. prorated, depending on the contract to fit him in by mid season and have three months of the cap hit. So that that's a material factor when it comes depending on what kind of contract he signs. And anybody, and anybody who watched Backstrom and I did. Oh, he was not great. Not great until probably March. Yep. And then he started to play better. Yep. He started to play closer to the Backstrom that we know, but that's why, see, that's my argument in terms of now I'm sure Kane wants security and he wants as many years as he can get his hands on, but NHL teams are going to say, okay, we want to see, you know, give us a one-year prove-it deal, and then we'll sign you. Now, he's Patrick Kane. He can probably get anything he wants, Kev, because he's won three Stanley Cups, and he's a Hall of Famer. But when you're coming off that kind of surgery, people are going to be a little hesitant. And given what we saw from him also this year, yeah. right, he, he also struggled substantially. I mean, it was everybody knew he was playing through a, through an injury. Right. It all depends. It yes. all depended on how material that injury was and how much was going to impact him. And look, he had the game two against the Devils. But other than that, he really didn't have a particularly strong finish, which I think most of us expected when he was acquired. And the only reason he ended up in New York is honestly, the price tag was less than probably most people expected. And he right. kind of forced his way to a trade to New York because he told Chicago the only place he would go is New York. Right. The I mean, he really wants to sign long term is New York, apparently. Yeah. But. So here's the problem, right? So look, I love Kane. It's kind of hard not to. But given what we saw last year, given the need for Lafreniere and Kako to both get bigger roles, right. given need, given the cap implications that exist with signing Kane to begin with, given need to sign Lafreniere, given the need to sign Keandre Miller, 
given the other cap impacts that they have and the need to have a more balanced lineup signing Kane doesn't necessarily provide any of that. And that's part of the problem, right? There's he's, he's a look, if he's healthy and he can score great, but he doesn't make up for some of the deficiencies that are created by signing him. What's the number, Chad? $3 million? Maybe. I, don't I, want... again, I hate saying maybe only because, like I said, they have eleven million dollars right now in cap room. They need a backup right. goalie. They need they That's need to nice. re-sign Lafreniere. They right, need to right. re-sign Keandre Miller. Um, so they're right. and I think Kako. They're, they're so they have one more year. So they're going to be up against the cap pretty significantly to balance out the rest of the lineup, which is why Barkley Goodrow's name continues to be mentioned a lot. Look, I'm yeah, one who doesn't think he good. Luck. I don't think. Wait, wait, hold on. If you if you want to see a contract where a guy is materially overplayed, do me a favor. Go look at Blake Coleman's contract and shut sure. up about Barkley Goodrow already. Yeah. Goodrow three point six million dollars is overpaid, but he's not like six million dollars overpaid. No, per no, year. no. I mean, so, I, think, I think he's a good. I think he's a good third line player, and three point six million dollars on a team that's not cap strapped is is not a is not a bad AAV. But the problem is, is they need flexibility, and they right. really can't afford to have that kind they of. Will, they would be able to trade him in a second for that contract. But four years, yeah. like four years. Do you think so, Kevin? Do you think for that contract? Yeah, uh, yeah, and you know, again, I bring this up all the time, but you know, we're approaching three million dollars on an average salary, yeah. um, right. and when you, you know, as the GMs have explained to me, that really in their mind the average salary is almost five million because. You know, everybody factors in that they're going to have seven or eight guys making a million or less, which then, you know, right. then they've got to sign 15 guys and they've right. got like $74 million left, which is, you know, almost, you know, $5 million per player. So I mean, this, this, I guess this, the question this, I'll ask is if if the Rangers had not signed Goodrow to the six twenty one point six million million deal after trading a seventh rounder for him, right. would he have gotten a similar contract on the open market in free agency? That Probably. Year? No, yeah. I don't think there's any question, right? Yeah. Same Chris Kreider when he signed also, yeah. right? And they, they kind of signed him. Well, yeah, None of us expected a pandemic. None no. of us expected a flat cap for the most part. No. If the cap had risen even two to three million the last couple of years, yeah. nobody would be saying boo about any of these contracts right now. And you're talking about the, the primary reason why Kyle Dubas lost his job in Toronto because they expected the cap to grow and they didn't expect the $40 million on four players to be 50% of their of their salary. And now the, what you're just talking about with, with Barkley Goudreau is, is what Toronto is going to be talking about over the next couple months because – it's not that any of those four players are bad players. They're all good players. The problem is they need flexibility to address the areas of need that have, that have been shortcomings of them competing in the playoffs, like defense, like a number one or a number two defenseman, and goaltending. And you can't afford to pay $40 million on four players who play the same type of game and at some points of the year don't show up. Right. I mean, you're going to have the same problem. Look, they have Ryan Lindgren coming up as a free agent after next year, unrestricted, a restricted free agent. They got to have his contract to worry about. You can argue, you know, the Panarin contract, nobody expected it. And they ended up getting him and that accelerated the rebuild for, for better or for worse, depending on your view, given what you've seen in the playoffs. And you can argue also that Trouba is somewhat overpaid, but given what he had on his last contract in Winnipeg, for the year that was expiring, the number he got was probably somewhat close to in line what you thought he'd get. I think he's still probably at least a mil overpaid based upon what the contract would have been. But you know, you start adding up five hundred thousand here, seven fifty here, a million here. Now you're looking at about four, five, six million dollars in cap hit. That if you would have had a normal 
run in terms of the cap rising would not have been a concern because you would have had that room. Now, as you mentioned with Toronto also, you have four guys making a ton of money where you're expecting the cap to be somewhere closer to 90 by now than the $83 million that we're likely going to have on, on a cap this year. That's all true. It's all, it's all, and a lot of teams are in that same boat. Like there's a lot of contracts that are in the same situation because I have no, especially contracts that were signed before the pandemic when everybody expected, you know, normal rise of cap of salary cap. So everything now is completely, but I mean, Gaudreau is the kind of guy who can play up and down the lineup and three and a half million dollars or whatever. That's, that's a player that teams will jump on. Like they will jump on. The biggest mistake the Rangers made was letting Jesper fast go. Because the rumor was he wanted a six-year deal. He was making $1.85 million a year on his contract that expired. He got three years, $6 million from Carolina. Rangers Man. would have gone 3-8, 3-9. You would have had a similar impact to Goodrow, a guy who can move up the ladder, who played with Artemi Panarin. And you probably would have saved a couple, two, a million or two, one to $2 million a year. But he ended up going to Carolina and was a perfect fit in that roster at times. And now he's going to be a free agent. Yeah. So... As yeah. you talked about, right? Every single contract has an impact based upon who you grab and who you don't grab. And then, look, Toronto's got the same issues. Look, they you would have figured this year was going to be the year they did it. Boston, we don't know what's going to be. Look, if, if Bergeron and Krejci don't come back, right. who the heck is their number one center right now when both of those guys Charlie took, massive dis- took massive discounts to stay with Boston? What's going to happen other than them probably re-signing Tyler Bertuzzi? Is there any chance Bertuzzi could return to Detroit, Kevin? No, no, he. They never really even got going on contract negotiations, just because um, uh, Steve and he just have had so much tension. Right, right. That's what's bigger. Yeah, yeah. They. I mean, Steve even admitted that he said they really had didn't even talk after the start of the season. So, how high do you think he'll be? I mean, I think he might price himself out of Boston. Well, that I I just wrote that. Yeah, Um, and basically we got that from. uh, from Boston Hockey now. The problem is, is they have $5 million left and they have 15 players signed. And, and wow. if uh, Bergeron and Krejci are coming back, I think Bergeron's coming back for sure, but that's just a guess. Um, so they got to pay them. And, uh, you know, they got to get Trent Frederick uh, signed and they've got to get uh, uh, Swayman signed. Well, I, okay, I will say I will say the two most favorite words back in the summer. Offer sheet because there you go with Jeremy Swayman. You got a young goaltender. I mean that that it's set up for you. Go do it. Can we take a bet on that one too, Mike? You got the side bet with Russ on the other one. Can we take a side bet on this one right now? They're, they're signing Swayman, so I know. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Especially after what happened in the playoffs, like the playoffs did. Oh, I just robbed Eck of like three columns in July. I am not that. No, you haven't. He'll still post them. <laughs> I write less offer sheets than other people do. <laughs> All right, <laughs> but that's you know. But they, I, I was definitely maybe one who started writing offer sheets. But now everybody else writes. So I'm, I'm less, less people. Um, anyway, now, one thing I did want to bring up because yes, uh, Mike always brings up about you know four players, forty million dollars, but. You know, the, you know, Florida Panthers have four players at 38-5, so they're only a million and a half different. Like, why is that, you know? Because those four players, uh, one named Bobrovsky, one named Kachuk, showed up in the playoffs. 
That's what money, I'm saying. They, they, it's, not, I mean, it's not the money. It's the guys. It's the performance. It's, it's the, it, you know, it's like, okay, Austin yeah. Matthews scored, you know. Do you, do you believe in your heart that those four guys are incapable of? Not, um, inca- not incapable. Not incapable. I just don't think it's the right mix, Kev. I think you've got too much of one type of talent and not enough of another type of talent. Yeah, it, I, I agree with you on the mix in terms of defense. And, you know, you, you got to have one of those guys. But I I don't know. I think you put too much emphasis on the money. And I, I also believe that it's it's possible that eventually that you know group would come together. I mean, you just have to, like, you know, the fact that Dubas never really solved the goaltending or no. the defense, it, to me, was a much bigger problem than how much the they two were biggest issues that he's going to have in Pittsburgh, by the way, right? Like, you know, yeah. the, 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 that's, what he's, that's what he's going to Pittsburgh with goaltending and defense, right? So that's yeah, like, no, no, the, you're absolutely right. And the, the goaltending situation is very similar. It is. You know? Yeah, and he, he basically said the same thing about, uh, well, about Tristan Jari, about getting to know him. Right, it sounds like Brian Camp. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. One, one thing that's interesting that, you know, Mike Sullivan loves Jerry. Yes. So, I mean, he yeah. speaks about highly of him. The one difference, though, is Pittsburgh has the impact defenseman. I mean, Latang can still play. Mm-hmm. You know, still yeah. moves that puck. Still one of the better transition guys. So that's that's the difference. Well, Riley's an impact defenseman, though, don't you think? I mean, I think. You know, yeah, I, I, I love him. Um, I, I think he does a good job. You know, I, he's almost like. Maybe it's a one B, you know. Yeah, Morgan Morgan Riley is an extremely good two. He's an average one, and that's he's, he's not Latang. He's he's no, he's not Latang. That's, that's Latang. well said. Yeah, Dan's right. Hall of Famer. He's Latang. not. Latang. I mean, again, look. I mean, Pittsburgh needs also other guys besides Latang, which well, was unfortunate when he was yeah. out. Right there, they also are an aging roster to a yeah. certain extent. They're, I mean, look with Malkin and Crosby, and they decided. Look, they took another kick at the can. To try to make a run, and and they might have beaten the Rangers the year before if Jari had been fully healthy going into the playoffs. I mean, he didn't come back until the end of that series. I mean, they it, almost pulled out with Louis Domingue playing goal for them. If you need Exhibit A and Exhibit B, Kev, of why Bron Hextall got fired, Jeff Petrie was a failure in Pittsburgh, yeah. and so well, was so was the John Marino for Ty Smith deal. Good, they, that was brutal. Was yeah, brutal. I, I'm I'm going to run out of power here, so I want to make one more point about Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, I was on Pittsburgh radio today and what I said about that, like I really like the Dubas fit there because he has a lot of experience in dealing with teams that are on the verge. Now you can argue that, you know, he didn't push all the right buttons um, and, and get it done. On the other hand, he's used to those problems. Like he's not going to, uh, it, it, it's not going to overwhelm him. He, he can deal with that. But the one thing that I said, which got me in trouble with the people who were listening because they weren't really following my logic. And then when I explained it, like the host said, I think you 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 know finally went over the people. But he's got a little bit of Hextall in him in this regard. Like he s- certainly respects the importance of refreshing the team with the draft. Like he hung on to, and now I'm drawing a complete blank, the college kid. Um, nice. From, nice. Matthew Nice. Uh, Matthew, Matthew Nice. And just because, you know, he, he could have traded him to get more help, um, but he didn't. He hung on to him because, you know, he's the future and all that. And I think they need that in Pittsburgh. They need a guy who is going to sell out and be all in, but pay just enough attention to try to stash away some some nuts for, for winters up the road. Kyle so, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, Hextall was Team Jari. Hextall liked Justin Jari. Like, Kyle Dubas just 
Sorry, go. Sorry, go. Yeah, and I really do. I really did hear that. Kyle Dubas yeah. was GM in Toronto for five years. He traded his first round pick every year. No, I'm I'm, I'm well aware of that, but I also I'm just yeah, he saying got some, he got some back, right? And that was yeah, you know, so. I think he at least respects the idea oh, that, that you know, like like let's put it this way, uh, the the Panthers could win it all this year, but Zito's got nothing coming for the next few years. You know, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You know, yeah. so I mean that's the difference. That's that's yeah. my only point. Yeah, that's no, you're right, hundred percent right. All right, that's all the time we have for today, guys. Anyway, let's get out of here. Um, remember, folks, without the buzz, it's just hockey chance. Thank you so much for stopping by. As always, great to get your perspective. And, Kevin, enjoy the weekend, guys. Enjoy the next time we talk to you guys. It'll be game one. We'll be over. Game two will be on its way. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.